and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks now, several weeks, is working my way through a mega series called These Seven Men Are Disrupting the Comics Industry. And the high concept behind this is that I don't know if I'm the only one in the room here, but I just fucking adore the early offerings of Image Comics, and I wanted to do a series talking about just how awesome I think these comics are, and honestly, how underrated I think they are, because I don't know if things are changing lately, but at least for, we'll say, the great majority of the... Uh, of the 2000s and even getting into the 2010s it was really fashionable to look down one's nose at the the initial offerings of image comics you know wildcats uh young blood and uh, let me think what else was uh, savage dragon you know all that stuff it was almost a cliche really and this is one of those things that I honestly don't think I... I it, look, it's one thing to make jokes about certain 90s superhero tropes. It, it's one thing to make jokes about that stuff, you know? But in, in, in terms of the fundamentals of what makes a good comic book, you're hard-pressed to find very many weaknesses with early 90s image. A lot fewer weaknesses than you might think. and. I'd even go so far as to say of probably no image comic is that more true than today's subject matter. If ever there was a there was a comic book that by and large is everything that a a superhero kind of comic book is supposed to be in a healthy and thriving comic book industry I would say that Spawn number one is actually pretty pretty near the top of the list. I mean, it's not necessarily perfect. I don't know if this is like the perfect example of what a comic book should have been in the early 90s, but it's pretty damn close. Uh, I'm willing to say that. So without further ado, obviously I'm going to be talking about Spawn number one. Cover date is May 1992. Cover artists are Todd McFarlane and Ken Stacy. Writer is Todd McFarlane. Penciler is Todd McFarlane. Inker is Todd McFarlane. Uh, bleh, Todd McFarlane. Colorist is Steve Olive, Ken Stacy, and Ruben Rude. So colorists, I guess. Letterer is Tom Orsachowski. Editors are Wanda Kalamajek. Kalamajek. Kalimajek. I don't fuck it. Todd McFarlane's wife, right? Her name's Wanda, so that's her. And Chris Olm. Story, uh, story is entitled Questions, Part 1. Story synopsis is as follows. Spawn, otherwise known as Al Simmons, stands on top of a building in New York City. He died and has returned from the grave, but he can't recall why he's here. He remembers being tricked, somehow, and also, somehow, this wasn't the deal that he had expected. Five years ago, in 1987, news, news reports discussed the then-recent death of American hero Al Simmons, 
who'd saved the, pre the, the president's life previously while working, uh, working for the CIA. Some, some news channels have reported on how his wife, Wanda Blake, appears with another man at the wake, which is to say Martin Alexander. Spawn recalls, and this is in the present, Spawn recalls being part of the CIA, uh, Jason Wynn, and his death. Meaning, these are the things he's remembering. The CIA, and he's remembering Jason Wynn, and he's remembering his own death. He wanted to return to someone, someone that he loved, but he can't remember who. All at once, he sees a vision of his wife, and he recalls making a deal with a demon to come back from the dead. He curses that demon, as it was his terms, meaning the demon's terms, uh, that the, uh, under which the deal was made, and now Al Simmons can't recall his past life. He feels his new power surging through his body and decides to go searching for his wife. Once he gets some answers, then he's going to track down the demon who screwed him on the deal. Elsewhere, at a crime scene, Sam Burke asks Twitch Williams about a mobster murder. Twitch explains several times to Burke that while he was thrown through a window, he died of his heart being removed from his chest and then being shoved into his mouth. Burke shows little sympathy or remorse over the death of this mobster as several other major crime syndicate members have been killed recently in a similar manner. Elsewhere, at a nearby rooftop, Spawn spots several men sexually attacking a woman. He easily disposes of them and uses part of his necroplasm to bomb them. As the men flee, Spawn experiences another flashback, even stronger than the one before, and realizes he must find Wanda. Upon returning to his senses, he finds that he's wept in the arms of the woman who, whom he'd just saved from the attackers, and she empathizes with him, holds him, and feels his pain. News reporters, and again, we're now talking about 1992 here, news reporters of today report that a fourth gangland murder has been committed. And there are also reports of sightings of Spawn. As Spawn wanders through the streets, he angrily pulls down his glove and realizes that his body has been charred and physically disfigured. Elsewhere, Twitch and Sam can't believe the physical damage uh, that Spawn caused to several of the gang members with his necroplasm bomb. Elsewhere, Malbolgia, which is to say the demon with whom Spawn made his deal to come back from the dead, Malbolgia watches over Simmons and says out loud to himself that he's going to have so many more problems coming his way as he breaks into a maniacal laughter. To be continued. But not this week. So, what did I think? Well, first, I want to open up my Coke here because I'm getting a little bit thirsty here, guys. Orange vanilla Coke, just like always. Anyway, getting into this... I guess really this title in general, before we get into this issue in particular, I really should say that as much as I could, I followed Image Comics when these comics were coming out and brand new on the stands, but one must make priorities, or one must have priorities, one must make decisions 
with one's comic book collection when one is collecting comics in the early, well, really, I would say all through the 90s, which is the some encapsulation of my entire childhood. One must have priorities is what I'm trying to say. And so I knew I wanted to collect Superman and I knew I wanted to collect Batman. And those were really my, those were at the top of my agenda when it comes to comic book collecting. And so everything else kind of had to play second fiddle to that. You know, I would, I, I was in a situation where I'd have to get the issues of those titles as I was able to get the issues of those titles and so when it comes to image comics, I mean, this truly was like third priority for me, you know, and of image comics, Spawn was the top priority. So this is the one that uh, Spawn, this was the title that I was able to follow the most closely and the most consistently. And while I had a lot of affection for all of image, there was something singular about Spawn that really made this stand out for me. And honestly, that's really in spite of the first issue, because I would say I, I came to the party kind of late when I was finally able to track down some issues of Spawn and get up to speed on what the story was. I want to say it was probably uh, like issue number... I'm trying to think. Maybe nine or ten, something like that. And as the series progressed, basically as we move closer, ever closer, to issue number 32 of Spawn, the, the title would resemble a conventional mainstream superhero title less and less, and it would become more and more a, well, a straight-up horror movie type of comic book. And it gets to a point where I don't think you can even really call this a superhero title anymore, at least not in any conventional sense, starting probably around the mid-30s or so of Spawn, and then just kind of going forward from there. And at least to start with, though, like that, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that's how I cut my teeth on Spawn, right? And I was having to track down the back issues, <clears throat> Which even in the mid-90s, those were still going, not necessarily, like I would say by 1995, 96, and through there, Spawn number one was not yet going, or it was not anymore going for the same price that it, that it had been going for, say, 1993, 1994, and through there. The, the, the back issue prices really had come down on a lot of image titles. And one might say, especially Spawn, since I reserve the right to be wrong on this, but I swear to think that in terms of print runs, there were there were more issues of or more copies of Youngblood number one and Wildcats number one and a lot of other image number ones than there were of Spawn. So this probably held its value the most, or at least the longest. But in the end, this one came down as well. And so I was able to finally track down, and this is probably getting into 1994, 1995, around there. I was finally able to track down the earliest issues of Spawn and start filling in my collection. And I got to say, the first really several issues of Spawn 
I knew, obviously, I knew where the story went. And so, you know, I can just kind of roll with it. I liked having a complete run of Spawn. But these early issues, I just didn't think they were up to the same standard as as the, compared to the direction that the series would ultimately take. Now, as I say all of that, there are a lot of caveats that we need to throw in here. Number one is just plain old marketing. All right. There is marketing to consider. Todd McFarlane released Spawn number one. And let's face it, superheroes, especially back then, they were the genre in super in uh, in comic books, right? It was all about superhero titles. They pretty much ruled the roost. And obviously, I think they do even now, but to a lesser degree, you know, there are other options. Whereas when Spawn number one came out, yeah, there were other options, but not not to the same degree, not to the same level of viability, shall we say, all right? And so I think a big part of what's happening here in, in the first maybe, well, the first four issues for sure, but really I would say the first 12 or 13 issues of Spawn, this is, as much as can be, this is this is as conventional a superhero comic book as Todd McFarlane was capable of making it. And I don't think that presentation benefits the material, especially in the first four issues of uh, of the series. It's not that these issues are bad. Far from it. I'm just saying that Spawn does not easily fit into the superhero genre, and trying to force this title in there just isn't completely successful on a creative level. Sales level, that's a completely other issue. So there's that. Another thing that I think was kind of working against McFarlane with these early issues of Spawn, quite apart from his own marketing, is it's just the the practical reality that by the time that Todd McFarlane put pencil to paper for the first issue of Spawn, he had drawn hundreds, maybe even thousands of pages in his comic book career. And this is just not deniable, right? He was a superstar when he walked out of Marvel. He'd made his bones really doing Spider-Man. I mean, I think he got a lot of attention from a lot of people when he was doing the Hulk. But really, I think Spider-Man is, more than anything else, what put McFarlane on the map. And really made him into a superstar. And so we need to be aware of that. He had drawn, again, by, by the time he put pencil to paper for the first issue of Spawn, he had drawn possibly thousands of pages in his comic book career. Whereas Todd McFarlane, the writer, was a lot less experienced. And I think it's not as obvious here in Spawn number one, as it is in, say, adjectiveless Spider-Man number one. But it is still pretty apparent that Spawn number one was written by somebody who just didn't have a ton of experience writing comics. Now, that is that is a handicap that I'll go so far as to say is insurmountable with adjectiveless Spider-Man. The writing really does drag those issues down, I think. 
Whereas it's really less of a problem with Spawn. And what I mean by that is when McFarlane was working on Adjectiveless Spider-Man, he had a long leash that he was allowed to run on. But at the end of the day, he still had a leash. He had an editor-in-chief. He had somebody with the authority to fire him. And there were certain things that he was obliged to do. Okay? There's just no getting around that. Whereas writing Spawn, he was slightly more experienced now. And he also had the freedom to say that he was going to tackle the story in a little bit more of a leisurely pace. And as it happens, the market was kind of on his side. There were, if sales figures are to be believed, 1.7 million uh, people who bought Spawn number one when it was brand new on the racks who were willing to indulge McFarlane as he explored every nook and cranny, not so much of the characters, not even so much of this universe, but just of the 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 tone of this comic book this kind of light like 10% horror movie 90% superhero comic book that he was experimenting with in these early issues of spawn and so as a result the story unfolds i mean really not a whole lot happens in this first issue i mean there are some scenes yes and there's some exposition yes but really what mcfarlane is up to in this first issue is He's, he really is abiding by the rule of cool, where how cool the art is is really more important than how quickly, or for that matter, how slowly, or for that matter, how methodically you can unfold the story. We're going to get to the story stuff all in due time, but, but for right now, just look at how fucking cool this art is, kids. You know, and that seems to be the thinking that McFarlane had back in 1992. Now, excuse me while I get a sip off of my Coke. That seemed to be the thinking of McFarlane back in 1992. And honestly, I mean, there's not... Either there is no good example to point to of what I'm talking about here, or perhaps the other way of looking at it, every single page is a good example of what I'm talking about here. So... Uh, we'll just, beginning with Comixology's page four, which I think is page two in the proper printed issue, this is page two, it, it basically consists of seven panels. There's one mega panel that frames the entire page, and then there are six smaller panels in this kind of uh, uh, three by three sort of uh, configuration here, or two by three, or fucking whatever, six panels. Uh, this sort of uh, configuration here of you see a church with a with lightning striking in the background. Uh, the next panel is pitch darkness. There's another picture of the church. Spawn is scamp scampered up to the top now, uh, silhouetted by more lightning. Then we get a close up of Spawn's eyes, a, a kind of further back close up of of Spawn's eyes, and then a slightly closer close up of Spawn's eyes. And what story elements are being advanced here? I can only think of really two. The existence of, of Spawn himself, and then the 
setting up the significance of the church. It's not an accident that Spawn is hanging around a church here. We'll get into that in future issues, but that's really far ahead in the future, at least for right now, for things that pertain to this issue. Really, the only thing that gets established here on Comixology's page four is the existence of Spawn himself, and we don't even really get all that good a look at him. And yet, how fucking cool is this art? It's all, it's just so dark and moody and atmospheric. The shadows are, are absolutely pitch black, no detail whatsoever. And the lightning, it's, 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 it's lighting up the entire sky and it's silhouetting spawn. It's just what this comic book, this issue specifically, what this thing is really all about. It's not about spawn. It's not about his backstory. It's not about his death. It's not about the deal that he made with Malbolgia. It's not about the fact that he's searching for Wanda. You know, he's back from the dead and all that stuff. He made some kind of questionable deal. It's all about how fucking cool everything looks. And it's like, it doesn't really matter what this issue is about. It's really about the art. And the art is about how fucking cool everything looks. And there's a type of comic book fan out there who, especially in the 90s, I mean, you hear it a lot now, but it's just kind of a non-issue these days. But especially back in the 90s, you would hear these kind of snootier-than-thou-art, literati, douchebag comic book fans who... I want to read a good story. I just, I care about the characters. I want to see world build. And, and dude, I'm all for that stuff. That stuff is great. By all means, pack it in. But guys, that's not what early offerings of Image Comics are all about. You know, it's about how cool everything looks. It's about fucking badass art. It's about how awesome these, these layouts are. Or the, how cool, and kind of, let's face it, 90s chic. But nevertheless, how cool the coloring is and, you know, these this really impractical spawn uniform that he's wearing with the spikes and the chains and the impossibly huge cape and all that stuff. And the details of the story, it's not that it's unimportant. It's just secondary to the fact that comics, any comic book, this is a visual medium here, guys. And what the Image co-founders all understood is that, look, nobody has anything against telling a good story. We're, we're totally cool with that. But what we really want to do is make comics that look fucking badass. And this comic looks badass. And one of the things that kind of seldom gets remarked upon here is the fact that when Todd McFarlane had the leash taken off him, I really think his his work dramatically improved, like artistically speaking, dramatically improved. You know, he he like I say, he made his bones on the Hulk, and there's nothing wrong with those Hulk issues. I like them. I've read them. They're good. But he got a little bit better when he moved over to Amazing Spider-Man. Now, I like Amazing Spider-Man. I've read those issues. They're great. Nothing wrong with them. But, again, I'm stressing this point. The art on Adjectiveless Spider-Man is fucking great. I love it, and there is nothing wrong with it. But here with Spawn, when the leash truly is taken off now, 
the level of quality, the level of detail, and just the amount of time that McFarlane clearly invested in every single panel of every single page, boy, he, he was always good. This I do affirm. He was always good. But man, when he started drawing Spawn, I think his art seriously went into overdrive. Now, I've seen interviews with McFarlane, and God knows I've read a fair number of them, and he could be a little bit self-deprecating. And I get the idea he's not doing this. This is not completely a joke. He's being kind of serious whenever he says that his art really isn't all that special. There's nothing really about it to write home about. And in a certain kind of way, I mean, there's a sense in which that's even kind of true. Because, like, when you think about it, what is Todd McFarlane but John Byrne with a fucking shit ton more lines and hatching and all that fun stuff? You know, the to me, the, the John Byrne... I, look, McFarlane can say whatever he wants, of, you know, this or that about Terry Austin or, or Gene Colan or, or any of those other guys, right? He, he can say whatever he wants, but every time I see his art, one of the things I that just strikes me in the face every single time, especially with his Marvel stuff is John Byrne with more lines. You know, that's really what, what we're dealing with here, you know? And yes, I see the Gene Colan influence. Yes. I see the Terry Austin fanboy that McFarlane makes no bones about the fact that he is. But at the end of the day, I see, I think I can draw, so to speak, a much straighter line between Todd McFarlane and John Byrne than I can Todd McFarlane and Gene Colan. Fight me, because I'm I, I'm standing by that. So, like I say, I've heard McFarlane be self-deprecating, and like I say, not in a falsely modest, not in a pretending-to-be-humble kind of way. I get the idea he's truly not crazy about his art as compared to other artists that he does respect, like... Again, Gene Colan or John Byrne or, uh, for that matter, the other Image co-founders, um, uh, Jim Lee, you know. I get the idea that McFarlane, he knows he's good. He simply likes other, he holds other people's work in higher esteem than his own. And there's an argument that an attitude like that is always going to push you to to try harder, work harder, sweat more be better. And I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is McFarlane can be as self-deprecating about his work as he wants to be. But at the end of the day, to me, he's always going to be one of the greats, you know, especially with for everything else I could say about the tone and the style that we're shooting for, especially in the first several issues of Spawn. I maintain that at least the pencil work, the art is some of the best he's ever done, even to this day. But I, I've seen some of his newer stuff, and I have to admit that on a technical level, yes, his newer stuff is better yet than Spawn number one. But my point, and I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of saying all this, but my point is that this is some top-shelf, first-rate, just fucking amazing art that anybody should be proud of, and... This is, God, this is just such good stuff. And I, I'm really not trying to beat this to death, guys. But, you know, you got to understand, I just 
fucking adore this type of approach to comics where it's all about the art and the mood that the art is is creating and all that. So anyway, but to move beyond Comixology's, uh, this is page four, getting into page five, this is a, uh, what we see here, this is a, a, a sort of a plot framing device that, as far as I know, McFarlane used for years and years and years on Spawn of basically having three different newscasters commenting on current events. One of, uh, one of the newscasters, this is an Oriental uh, woman, and she's working for CNN. The other, uh, the, the, the uh, second one, this is this ultra hardcore, ultra uh, uh, right wing kind of war hawk kind of guy uh, who is always on a different network. Every single time we see him, he's always on a different network. And it's like the idea, see, this is not a continuity error. It, it's like the idea seems to be that this guy is just so toxic and so controversial. He shoots his mouth off so much that every time we see him, he just made the new, a, 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 a report. He just filed a story. He's basically just broadcast something that got him fucking fired. And so now he has to go someplace else. And so then he'll be on a different network. And, you know, and so it's basically a, 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 a different network in every single issue. And quite apart from this issue, I, I swear to think that there, maybe my memory is playing tricks on me, but I swear to think that there's, there's one issue of Spawn out there somewhere where he's actually, and this is done, I think, deliberately. Again, not a continuity error. He's actually on two different networks in the same issue. In one page, he's on one network, and then on some other page later in the issue, he's on a different network. He got fired after that first time we see him, and then he quickly got another job someplace. That's how that's how much turnaround this guy's living with. And I've always been of the opinion that we don't need these characters' names. We don't need to know who they are. We don't need to know... We don't really need we don't need character development on them. They're sort of icons, and they're almost like a Greek audience in their own way. That they announce events that happen, and they comment upon them, and then we move on with whatever's happening. And they're the reason I say that is because I maybe it's the first Shadowhawk miniseries. It's either the first Shadowhawk miniseries or the second one. I forget which, but. He actually, this guy actually pops up as a character and he has a name <clears throat> and he gets a, 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 just a tiny sliver of character development. And it's like, even that tiny sliver that he does get, I just kind of object to it's, we don't need to know their names. We don't need to know who they are. We don't need these characters to be developed. They're a Greek audience. And for me, that's enough. So anyways, and then finally, the third guy, it says here that the name of his network is Seven, and I think that would ultimately get changed to uh, E Entertainment. But ultimately, yeah, no, actually, I think it, no, I take it back. It's actually in this issue. He he joins up with a, a Entertainment Television, as it was known back then, anyway. And so uh, E Entertainment, though, <clears throat> excuse me, while I get another sip off of my Coke. <clears throat> and this is uh, 
kind of a proto TMZ type thing that he's got going. It's a, it's just this very vap. It's not even news. It's just this really vapid commentary on the most kind of meaningless things of any given news story. And so just to kind of sum it all up, you've got CNN. This is just straight down the middle journalism. They just report the facts. That's it. Then you've got the right wing commentator who always f finds a way to say something controversial, possibly offensive, possibly even actionable. And then you have the TMZ uh, element. And I just like that so much. This is, I think McFarlane had a lot of really good ideas whenever he launched Spawn. And this is definitely one of them. This is just such a cool and effective way of framing any issue. And I just think it turns out just so incredibly well. Uh, the uh, right-wing commentator, I don't think it's fair to say that this guy's kind of a takeoff on, on Rush Limbaugh. Number one, they look nothing alike. Number two, this guy is just, even in 1992, you know, Rush Limbaugh was not this balls out, you know. This guy, it's almost like he's kind of a, he's almost sort of like a, like, like a, an amalgam of maybe Rush Limbaugh and I guess maybe even like the stereotype of Rush Limbaugh with maybe a little bit of Bill Buckley thrown in. And I can see, like in subsequent issues, maybe a little bit of uh, Lee Atwater and uh, maybe a little bit of Dick Cheney. I mean, there's, I, I, my point is, I see a lot of different influences here. And maybe the easiest way to say it, like I say, is in the American sense of right wing, this guy's just kind of this right wing sort of, sort of war hawk. And I've heard people in other podcasts compare this guy to, to Rush Limbaugh. And I don't really find him to be that exactly. It's almost like he's, it's almost like he's kind of, maybe the way to put it is Howard Stern meets Rush Limbaugh. Maybe that's the way to put it, you know, kind of like elderly Howard Stern crossed with Rush Limbaugh, like Rush Limbaugh's conservatism uh, combined with, well, let's face it, Howard Stern's clear willingness to, to be outrageous, to be controversial, uh, to cause trouble, get fired, all that stuff. Maybe that's the, the better way to put it. I don't, I don't really know, actually. But anyways, I always wanted to throw all that out there. So... Uh, getting into Comixology's uh, page six, this is sort of a, uh, just a quick, it's almost like it's a collage, but not really. It, like if this was a movie, this would be just like a series of quick cuts. Uh, uh, Al and Wanda, they're walking through a park, they're, they're young and they're in love. It's kind of a foreboding scene though, just the leafless trees and all that. Then there's a quick picture of Jason Wynn. There's, then there's a close-up of Al Simmons. And then there's another picture of Al Simmons holding up a giant fucking gun of doom. And he's looking like he's about ready to kick some ass. There's a quick picture of the American flag. There's uh, Simmons running into battle. He is kicking some ass. And then uh, there's a picture of Simmons' skull getting... Basically, the flesh on his face getting melted off. There's a point of uh, view shot of the gun pointed at Simmons's face as it melts uh, melts the flesh off his face. And then finally, 
uh, Simmons from a different angle, silhouetted as he's basically melting away into pieces and uh, getting murdered. And it's set up here that, or at least it's suggested, you know, one, if you knew nothing at all about Spawn and you're reading this, you might think that Jason Wynn, the uh, the basically the CIA boss that we see in panel two, he's actually the one that directly killed Al Simmons. And he didn't do it directly. I mean, this definitely happened, on, not to spoil ahead or anything, but this definitely happened at on Jason Wynn's orders, but he didn't actually do the deed himself. It's a little bit of a reveal who actually did do it and kind of pl- ties in with the idea that image, at least to start with was intended to be a shared universe, but then that all sort of changed. So anyway, so moving right along, we get more of that. This is on Comixology's page seven, a close up of Wanda, close up of Malbolgia, Malbolgia's hand, hand, a blinding flash of light, um, the flash of light hitting Al Simmons, presumably in hell. He's, this is sort of like a vision now of Wanda, Al Simmons in hell, screaming in pain. And it's, it, again, I mean, the story is unfolding here very slowly. But that's not really what this issue is about. This issue is not about the story. It's about just how fucking awesome this art is. God, I love it. It's so good. So, anyways. Then we get a better look at Spawn. This is on page 9, Comixology's page 9. And we get the the uh, Necroplasm counter. We actually saw it on Comixology's page 8, but our first real good look at it, uh, at the Necroplasm counter, it's set to 999, meaning that Spawn's power is fully topped up and he's ready to go. And this is our first pretty good look at him. Comixology's page 10. This is our first, like, sort of full-bodied shot of Spawn, where you can actually see what he looks like, see his outfit, uh, the pouches, because it's the 90s, the spikes, the chains, the gigantic fucking cape, and it's wider than Manhattan. God, this is just such a cool page. And my memory of it is, I'm looking at this, obviously, on my iPad, but my memory of it is, this was a two-page splash in the issue and so you actually had to turn the comic book sideways in order to see see all of this as it was intended and i never really liked that because i understand the artistic effect of it but it's like at the same time you shouldn't have to turn your comic book around as you read it and i thought so when i was, when i was a kid and i think so now so Anyway, moving right along, this is Comixology's page 11. And really, this is our first actual scene scene in in this issue. It's basically Sam and Twitch. They're reviewing a murder scene. And we're finding out that basically all of these different gangsters are dying. And it's implied at different points in this issue that Spawn is responsible for this. And that Again, not to spoil ahead, we eventually find out who is responsible for that, uh, the deaths of all of these gangsters, and it's a little bit of a reveal in its own right. But one of the things that gets set set in stone, I think, pretty clearly early on here is that 
you get the idea that, especially in later issues, but even right here, you know, you get the idea that Sam and Twitch are basically the last honest cops in New York that everyone else, maybe they're on the take or they're corrupt in some way. These two guys truly are on the side of the angels. Now, if you know anything about what happens in subsequent issues of Spawn, you know how complicated things ultimately get with, with Sam and Twitch. But at least for right here, you, you find out early on that these guys, they're not exactly sad to see all these different uh, gangsters get murdered. But at the same rate, this is still their city. The, these are still murders, and we've got to do something about that. So anyway... Next up, and again, this is kind of one of the more superhero-y elements of this issue. This is Comixology's page 12, and then going forward from there. Spawn basically stops uh, these street thugs from uh, uh, raping uh, some woman. And basically, this is the, the save the cat moment of, of this issue, where we see Spawn in action. We find out how strong he is. We get a little sense of uh, his moral compass, and because clearly, you know, he's willing to to step in and save some woman from from being raped. And maybe I'm just misreading something here, but it looks like on Comicsology's page 14, he grabs one of these one of these criminals by the throat and then throws them through a window. And as he throws, and as the guy flies through the window, you see all this blood and shit coming out of his neck, and it just it always made me wonder, did Spawn rip this guy's throat out before throwing him through the window? And, I mean, if he did, I mean, wow, you talk about... Uh, Spawn is not fucking around here, guys. You rape somebody in, in, in his presence, it's your ass. And uh, it gets worse. Oh, yeah, it gets worse. Comixology's page 15, he sets off a necroplasm bomb. And this is actually one of the few sort of wonkier moments of this issue because throughout this whole sequence, what we see, it looks like there are four assailants who are attacking this woman. Now, one of those we can account for straight out of the gate. Cause I just talked about it. Spawn. It looks like tore his throat out and threw, threw him through a window that should leave three, three assailants. And we know that one of them is this guy with the sunglasses and the Mohawk uh, Spawn launches the necroplasm bomb at him and presumably blasts that guy's head clean off so the other, the remaining criminals make a run for it. And that's where things get a little bit kind of dicey here because it looks like we see three people at the bottom of Comixology's page 15 making a run for it. So how does that work? Four people attack the woman. One of them got his throat ripped out and then thrown through a window. One of them got his head blown off with a necroplasm bomb, so that means only two of them should be making a run for it, right? And yet, at the bottom of Comixology's page 15, we see three of them making a run for it, so hey, I don't know. More coke. Alright, anyway, I just, just wanted to mention that. Um... Now, moving right along here, Spawn has a flashback, and we've seen the same portrait now of Wanda quite a few times. She's kind of smiling sadly, 
And you get the idea this is maybe something that Al remembers of her. And he keeps coming back to that moment again and again. And then we see her at Al's own funeral. And no joy on her face now. This is just pain, misery, and loss. And we we finally come back. This is on Comixology's page 19. We finally come back to our three primary newscasters, the Greek audience, as it were. And they all look like they pretty much have settled into their roles now. CNN, again, the Oriental woman is just doing straightforward journalism. No, all thriller, no filler. Uh, the right-wing Warhawk, he's on a different network now, because you can imagine between 1980-whenever and 1992. He's gotten fired probably several times over now, so this is just the latest one. And now, the other guy, the TMZ guy, he's now on E!, and that's like his permanent home now. He's going to st stick around there. Uh, but one of the things, though, that I do sort of like about this, this just the vapid coverage of all this stuff, uh, the, uh, the entertainment television guy says, I'll never understand how those two have managed to stay together for all those years. Someone must be torturing me. And finally, word out of New York is that there's a new mystery man in the Big Apple. Only a handful of reports so far, but from what I can tell, our big bruiser has a fetish for Zorro. I mean, let's get serious. A cape. With the Youngblood fashions being all the rage, why on earth would anyone try to bring back such a gosh and... Gauche? Is that how you pronounce it? Is that gosh or gauche? G-A-U-C-H-E. I never actually figured that out. Gauche or gosh? Whatever. Gauche, I'll say. Why on earth any why on earth would anyone try to bring bring back such a gauche and totally useless accessory? Now, those spikes and chains he has, those are simply darling. A perfectly riveting fashion statement. Now, guys, this is a uniform that comes straight from the pits of hell. And this guy is offering a fashion critique. I just love this. And this kind of, this to me says that Todd McFarlane has something to say as a writer. I mean, he's obviously got talent, incredible talent as a penciler. And nobody's disputing that, or I'm not disputing that anyway. But he doesn't get as much love as a writer. And to me, little moments like this, these moments prove to me that no, he does have talent and merit and worth and potential as a writer, and people are just going way too harsh on him. Simple as that. So now getting into pages 20 and then just sort of going forward from there, we see Spawn, he's staggering down an alley. And he's pulling off his mask, he's pulling off his gloves and his gauntlets and all that shit. And this is something that I don't think we would see, even just a few issues later. Here you get the idea that this is, the uniform that he's wearing is something akin to fabric. Whereas subsequent issues make it pretty clear that the uniform that he's wearing, this is actually a living organism. You know, it's it's basically like a symbiote. 
And so you wouldn't take the mask off as such. He would just will it to vanish. And so I think this is the sort of thing that would get retconned in later issues and just never talked about again. So anyway, but nevertheless, the purpose of this sequence is to show that Al is finally take, uh, taking his first real look at himself since coming back from the dead. And he realizes that his whole body is completely burned and charred and it's just a rotting, decaying mess. And it's fair to ask, is he even human? And it, I think it's fair to say at this point, no, he's not a human anymore. And so, let's see, we get some last-minute business here with... Uh, Twitch and Sam, who they basically, this is on Comixology's page 22. It becomes pretty clear that they're going to turn their attention towards Spawn pretty soon. And then getting into Comixology's page 23, we see a, a, a quick glimpse of Malbolgia. He's in hell and he's laughing his ass off, basically saying, you know, Simmons, if you think your life sucks now, just wait till you see what's in store for you. And that's pretty much the end of the issue. And so, it, on a technical level, does this thing do everything that a first issue is supposed to do? I say no. I say no. On a technical level, a first issue of anything, there are things that need to be done that I don't think Spawn number one is completely, or for that matter, sometimes even mostly successful at. But in the main, a lot of things are done extremely well in Spawn number one. The art is just off the fucking scales. I cannot say enough positive things about the art in this issue. And so all in all, considering the fact that McFarlane is a, is a rookie writer, I think this issue is, it comes together actually quite well. Now, there's an argument that Tom should, or, or sorry, Tom, Todd McFarlane should have almost said Tom McFarlane for some reason. The Todd McFarlane should have done plotting on these issues and left the actual scripting to some other writer. And maybe he thought about that. He just couldn't find anybody. Or maybe he just didn't want to spend the money paying anybody else besides himself, anybody else more than necessary. Maybe, maybe, maybe. there are a ton of reasons, you know. And so I understand that argument. I can see that argument. I even kind of somewhat agree with that argument. But it's like at the same time, what we get is perfectly serviceable. And I do think that McFarlane, he, I think he's got a kind of an underrated track record, especially once he starts writing Spawn, less so before that. But really, when he starts writing Spawn, I think he's got a pretty, un, a pretty underrated track record as a writer. And building this universe, developing uh, these characters, setting up these conflicts and all that. You know, I'm familiar with the criticisms of uh, of the writing, uh, of McFarlane's writing in Spawn, and I'll even agree with some of it, but it's, guys, it's like at the end of the day, he's still a rookie and he's still learning how to do this, you know? And so I'm willing to cut the guy a little bit of slack. Not much, but a little bit. And so I think that's, pretty much does it for spawn number one. So yeah. Now as to feedback, actually, you know what? First,
Mm. Mm, yes. All right. And <clears throat> a little bit of vapor, too. All right, so let's get organized here. Feedback. <clears throat> I've got some. This is something that's actually been in the hopper for a pretty long time now. Um, but before we get into it, there's actually a little, there's probably something I should set straight. There is, this is a date June the 18th, 2015. And I want to say it was two, maybe three, maybe four episodes ago. I was working through feedback and, and I... Uh, well, I cheered in triumph because of the fact that I was officially into the year 2015. I'd, I'd uh, basically shaken the dust off of 2014, you know, feedback from 2014. And so now it was time to start getting into feedback from 2015. It's actually not completely true. There's one more piece of email that I got back in 2014 that I've pointedly not talked about. Reason being is because it ties in with an episode that I'm pretty sure is going to be coming soon. And so I thought it made more sense to just kind of sit on that for the time being and just skip ahead on into feedback that I received in 2015 and eh, hope that covers it. So anyway, little bit of meaningless minutia there. I, like I say, this email is dated June the 18th, 2015. This is from my old friend, Mark Lax. Subject line says, congratulations. And Mark says, Hey, Trentus, just wanted to let you know I just finished listening to episode 100. I'm putting your email on pause and saying, Mark, I think I just released episode like 300 a couple of weeks ago. So, wow, man, am I sorry. <laughs> but it, it, it's taken me a long time to get to it. And so I, I certainly hope uh, you're still listening and everything at this point. I, I sometimes take a look at your Facebook and it seems like everything's going okay with you, but I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen you around a whole lot lately, so uh hope everything's okay. And I, again, from the bottom of my heart, I really do apologize for how long it's taken to, to get to your email here, uh, sir. My, my apologies. So anyway, uh, getting back into Mark's email, he says, I've been listening for more than a year now, and I have to say thank you. You know, you and I don't always agree on content and personal opinions, but that's never stopped me from enjoying every episode I've listened to. Mark, I'm putting your email back on pause. Wow, man, really? Like every episode? That's kind of impressive. That's that's very high praise, man. Thank you very much. I figured, I mean, honestly, I, I look at some of the opinions that I suspect you have on certain things. And I don't really see as much difference between the two of us as you might think. I mean, some disagreement to be sure. Yeah. But there is a fringe and it looks like you and you and I are not part of any fringe, you know, at least that I can think of. So we're not as far apart on, if you're talking about what I think you're talking about, we're really not as far apart as you might think. So anyway, I just want to at least throw that out there. But um, going on, you know, what you say is that you enjoy every episode that you've listened to. And thanks a lot, man. I'm, I got to tell you, you know, that that really does mean a lot because 
look, the assumption that I kind of went into this thing with is that there are going to be certain people who only enjoy certain things. And so I'm not going to have very many people who are listening from one episode to the next, at least in most cases. And so what I tried to do was put together, at least to start with, what I launched was a podcast that I thought was pretty diverse, pretty dynamic, you know, a little bit of uh, Sandman mystery theater, a little bit of Why the Last Man, a little bit of uh, post-crisis Superman, maybe some Spider-Man movies, you know, and basically have like a little bit of everything, you know, that was the idea. And it's like the minute you say that, what you kind of have to acknowledge to yourself is that by virtue of the fact that you're going to have a little bit of everything, virtually nobody will listen to everything that you that you release. And so, in fact, the the bet that I would have made, you know, going into this thing is that nobody is going to listen to every single thing that I release. And so I, I was cool with that. I was fine with that. Totally comfortable. Went into this thing with my eyes open. And so when, and it's rare, to be honest, but it, it, it is rare for somebody to say, I listen to everything you release, number one, and I enjoy everything that you release, number two. So for somebody to say like those two things to me, it's pretty rare, you know? So thank you very much, Mark. Uh, again, I really appreciate your uh, your, your listenership. I certainly appreciate, uh, appreciate your friendship. Definitely appreciate your, your uh, feedback here. So just thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. So anyway, getting back into Mark's email, he says, not many people will get in front of the mic and just shoot the shit about their life without any filter and with such honesty. I know I couldn't, but whether you're discussing comics, movies, Smallville, etc., it's always refreshing to listen to your opinion about everything. Golly, wow. You're really giving me an inflated ego here, Mark. I, I, I got to tell you, you know, the, uh, the fact is, uh, like I say, it never occurred to me that every, that not just that everybody would like everything, but like I say, most people would not like everything that I release. So thank you very much again. Uh, Mark goes on to say, I appreciate your Smallville retrospective being a big fan myself. I don't always agree with your analysis, but I always enjoy any discussion on the show or on that show. No, the show ain't perfect, but it was fun. Your epic Superman miniseries was, of course, awesome. Uh, 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 Mark, I do want to put your email back on pause here and say that, you know, it, it is kind of interesting. I mean, like, number one, we can all kind of agree to disagree when it comes to, you know, Smallville. I mean, so. There, as you probably know, there are fans of Smallville who like certain aspects of it. There are other fans who like certain other aspects of it. And so that's such is life, you know. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is that, and Mark, if you disagree with me on this, I, I definitely want to hear from you so that you'll let me know. But what I at least have noticed is that, especially from about, the dreaded season four going onwards, Smallville really didn't get a whole lot of love from the core Superman fan base during its lifetime. But after the show wrapped up, people somewhat reevaluated the show and the consensus seemed to be that, you know what, there's a lot of merit here after all. There's a lot of value here after all. And there seemed to be this, this sort of slow burn uh, acknowledgement that certain aspects of the fan base seem to be saying to themselves, 
you know, I think we kind of sold this show a bit short, you know, and that's just something that I've noticed. Now, again, if you disagree with that, if you think that Smallville is as reviled now as it ever was, feel free to say so. Or if you disagree even with the premise, you don't think Smallville ever was reviled by the Superman fans. I'd like to hear that too. But that's just something that I've noticed over the years that it's a little bit more politically correct to be a Smallville fan now than it was, say, 2008. You know, that's just something that I've noticed. So again, your actual mileage may vary. So anyways, uh, let's see. Getting back into Mark's email, he says, I started listening to the show around the time that uh, you started that series. And I became, I think what Mark is talking about here is Magnus talks about Smallville. So that's, that I think is what it's about. But anyway, he says, I started listening to the show around the time that you started that series and I became an instant fan. And while I'm sure we would probably get into many arguments about the way we see why uh, about the way we each see the world it's those opinions good and bad that keep me coming back for more trennis keep doing what you're doing and i'll be there for episode 1000 uh mark i'm gonna be honest with you i don't know if this show is gonna last to episode 1000 i mean it may uh i'm gonna be honest with you guys there came a point i think it was right around the time of episode number 200 actually that i've I was starting to think to myself, you know, I don't think that my podcast is going to make it to episode 300. Now, here we are, well past episode 300, and so I'm, I don't know. I mean, basically, the, what I promised, or not a promise, but I guess what I sort of threatened, or maybe what I sort of decided upon, was that my show is going to last until the end of Magnus Talks About Smallville. Basically, when I finish talking about the final episode of Smallville. Anything after that, my podcast is pretty much on borrowed time. But it's like, it seems like every time I turn around, I'm finding new comics, or not new comics, but more comics that I want to talk about on the show. For example, when I first launched this show, the idea of talking to any great detail about the Legion of Superheroes five years later, that was just not even on the radar. If you'd asked me back in August 2013 when I launched this podcast, hey Magnus, are you ever going to talk about Legion of Superheroes five years later? It would have been my very great pleasure to look you right in the eye and say, no, I'm not. And yet, here we are. So at least the commitment that I made is I'm going to talk about Legion of Superheroes five years later up to number 24 and then after that I'm probably going to call it a day but so there's that and then let me think what's something else um uh, you, hey Mark do you remember that uh that trend back in the 90s I don't remember it sticking around all that long but there was a trend back in the 90s bad girls do you remember that well I've been reading some of those comics lately and I gotta tell you some of them are really freaking good and so I'm probably going to do a series about bad girls at some point. And it's just like every time I turn around, and this is my point, every time I turn around, I'm finding more and more comics that I want to talk about. And this is not to speak of movies that I want to talk about. Somewhat TV shows. I think I've got maybe another episode or two of Buffy in me. I mean, I'm not promising anything there, but we'll say maybe. There's a chance. And so some more Star Trek. 
I definitely want to keep this whole radio-free Isengard thing that I do about something something Tolkien. I definitely want to keep that going. You know, not maybe not like as a regular like ongoing fixture of the show. Like this is an official part of the show's format, but that's definitely something I, I, I want to keep up with and and revisit and all that fun stuff. So there's that. And and Mark, the point is, it's like I keep saying to myself that when I get to the final episode of Smallville, that's going to be the end of Trinus Magnus Punch's reality. But it's like I'm starting to count toes here, and I'm starting to think, you know what? I think I may have more content in mind than the lifetime of Magnus talks about Smallville will accommodate. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll, we'll see how things play out. But as far as episode number one thousand, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, it's one thing to sit here and talk trash and say, "Oh yeah, I always thought I was gonna go to episode a thousand. <laughs> yeah, sure, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, no. It. I, I. I definitely figured I could hit episode one hundred. I was certain I could hit episode two hundred. But, you know, trash talk aside, I, especially after episode 200, I didn't think my show was necessarily going to last until episode 300. So, episode 1000, I'm not saying yes and I'm not saying no. So, who knows. Anyway, uh, Mark finishes up his email by saying, your pal, Mark Lacks. And Mark, thanks again for taking the time to, to write in with just such a sweet email. I really appreciate it. You know, it's, uh, I got to tell you, man, today... Today was a day. Today, uh, Mark, I don't want to bog you down in too much of my own personal bullshit, but, you know, it's it, today was one of those days where, like, Murphy's Law, it's not even a law anymore. It's like it's the religion. If it could go wrong, it did go wrong. It's like, it gets to a point sometimes, and Mark, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but, like, it gets to a point sometimes where you, did, you look around at your co-workers and you're thinking, I can't even miss one fucking day without all hell breaking loose around here while I'm gone. Not even one day. Well, Mark, I was gone for one day. And it was this, the, the whole joint was chaos. And it's not like I'm a manager or something. I don't have, but it's like at the same time I look around, it's like, the fuck are you people doing that you could ever let things? Anyway, so... My point is, I came home, and I was in some kind of, obviously, I was in some kind of mood. And so, you know, I I uh, went searching through uh, my notes for this episode, what the feedback was going to be, and I re-read uh, your email here. And I got to tell you, it was just this nice little ray of sunshine. So thanks a lot, Mark. It, uh, it really did mean a lot coming home after just such a crazy go-nuts day. And here's this really sweet and kind-hearted email waiting for, uh, uh, for me, or rather, from you for me. It was just waiting there in the hopper for me to read it. It just really meant a lot, and so thanks a lot for taking the time to read it. You know, uh, again, apologies for the fact that it took very close to like four and a half years, or, or I, actually, I guess almost five years at this point, to finally get around to reading this thing. Mia culpa. Won't let that happen again. But anyway, so thanks a lot for your friendship, for this feedback, for your listenership, for everything. I just, I really do appreciate it. So yeah, so I think that's pretty much it for feedback, and I certainly think that's pretty much it for spawn number one, which means that's pretty much it for me. So what do you want to bet that it's going to be spawn number two next week? Yeah, I'm thinking the chances of that are actually going to be pretty good, so... I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week.
Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens and dozens of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void were prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. Magnus here. 
I host a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I release new episodes every Tuesday, and sometimes those episodes are all about Smallville. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville. In my opinion, Smallville is the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in history. Magnus Talks About Smallville is dedicated to themes, story arcs, and character motivations of Smallville. I do a ton of in-depth analysis of each episode of the show, and people seem to love listening to me talk about Smallville. And I want you along for the ride. Check out Magnus Talks About Smallville, a feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, and see for yourself why Smallville is awesome. Magnus Talks About Smallville, a feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, only at twotruefreaks.com.